Hey, murder lovers, my name is Mackenzie. And this is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. Those crows are crowing. They are. (laughs) There's a dead body out there. If you haven't... (laughs) What are those birds called? That circle... Uh, when you're, when there's like a dead body or when there's like a carcass. Vultures. Vultures. Funny story about vultures because you just mentioned the crows and maybe there's a dead body. But <laughs> so my best friend Tyson, we saw a vulture during our Missouri trip and he was telling me a story about how when they were kids and they were living in California, they saw some vultures and they wondered the same thing. Would they come at us if we, if they oh thought we God. were dead bodies? <laughs> So him and his sister laid on the floor on the oh, dirt. Oh, no. They actually wanted them <laughs> yes. to. Yes. So they laid on the floor, he said, for a good hour or so, waiting to see if they would circle them and come at them. Did they? And I was like, no. But uh. I'm like, this is why we're best friends. Because I was like, I would lay down right now if there's vultures to see if they would they come at it. me. They have like this weird ability to sense if something's dying or not. I, I don't know if it's smell or if it's like probably. just the sight of it, something not moving, but... Still very interesting. Yeah. And birds are fascinating. Human, but or not human nature. Nature in general is yeah. the animal kingdom is interesting. Fascinating. Do we have any current events that we need to talk about or yes. update on in the true crime world? Well, today, the day of filming, a judge ruled to release the documents that were part of a lawsuit filed against Gielan Maxwell. Ah. So those should be coming out in the next week or two. There's going to be more information about like people that visited the island and stuff like that. Ooh. So. She came out and was like, for the record, I'm not suicidal if something happens to me. Like, oh, if she I did? die, I'm not going to kill myself. So, yeah, oh, she's damn. released a statement. Apparently, she's terrified she's going to die, which is like, there's part of me that's like, good riddance. And then there's also part of me, though, that's like, no, you know a lot of information that we need to know. Absolutely. So. Keep her w- with a lot of security. I hope that's the case right now that she has around the clock someone watching her because well jeffrey epstein had somebody around the clock watching him and that didn't matter can we have like five backup cameras though that we know won't fail if something were to happen (laughs) something i'm telling you whatever i don't think that she will be outright targeted i'm going with my whole theory about like something happening to the institution as a whole and she happens to be just like collateral part of it right yeah so speaking of Ghislaine, there was the crazy story that happened, I think, earlier this week or over the weekend. Sorry, oh, I don't know yeah. my dates. About the but, attorney? Right. So attorney or the uh, lawyer, not lawyer, sorry, Judge Solace. Didn't that targeted. happen on my birthday? It might have. The day before, because it was when we were at breakfast. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. So... Judge Salas was appointed as a judge for a class action lawsuit Uh that was brought up against Epstein. And four days after being appointed the judge, someone dressed up as a delivery person. I don't remember if it was like FedEx. I think it was FedEx. Knocked on her door, shot her 20 year old son and husband. Yeah. Obviously, it sounds like they were targeting her. Right. But they hit close enough to home to... That would, I think that so, would be even worse. So she is physically fine. 
but obviously under protection right now. Yeah. And the person who perpetrated that crime then allegedly took his own life. I don't think Either it's allegedly say, that they actually like well it's not it's not a it's not a criminal charge to kill yourself. No, but did he though? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Did he commit suicide or was he suicided? Right. Mm-hmm. I know you like that word. So, these are the times to be a person of an inquisitive mind because there's a lot on the internet. There's a lot to explore, a lot of theories. And so, supposedly, this person went and took his own life afterwards. He had no connection to that class action lawsuit, but there was connection from him to a prior lawsuit that was like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. That the judge so, had overseen. Exactly. And that she had sentenced someone to uh, I, I, some kind of big kingpin to to jail time. So yeah. there's some sort of connection there, but it's just awful. The, the timing of it is too much of a coincidence. Awful, awful, yeah. awful, awful timing. So uh, that was, that's my update on true crime at the moment so we are going to be talking about human trafficking human trafficking is something that kind of entered my world as far as like something that I became aware of probably about 10 years ago Um, I got involved in an organization that was fighting trafficking in Cambodia I believe um, that is based out of Portland called Compassion First and I did some time volunteering for them Oh, that's super cool. And just became really interested in the fact that something like this is happening in our modern day world. And it's Mm -hmm. not something that is being talked about. Um, It's not something that really is a lot of attention is being drawn to. And it's so it's so important that we talk about it. And it blows my mind that this is something that we are facing in a modern world. And it's flying relatively under the radar. And I think part of the reason for that is that it's easily ignored because it makes us so uncomfortable but it's something that I think needs to be talked about more and brought more to the forefront so obviously our podcast is entertainment based we're here to entertain you guys with stories Um, but when the opportunity presents itself to approach something from a more um, educational perspective I want to be able to do that Um, we kind of did that with Taylor's episode about fentanyl and substance abuse And this kind of comes at a perfect timing because July 30th is coming up. July 30th is World Day Against Trafficking in Persons, a.k.a. Anti-Trafficking Day, Anti-Human Trafficking Day. With everything that's going on with Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell, it's starting to rear its head. Maybe you'll talk about a different perspective and more a local thing. Yeah. but, But it's starting to become a conversation. Why it's not already a conversation? Right. Blows my mind. Right. But... And the conversation, I feel like, needs to be focused around... Or recognizing how big of a problem this is. Like, right. Jeffrey Epstein is being kind of, like, celebritized in the whole thing. Glamorized. Like, all the people he knew and all the people that were part of this and, like, this little island or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, is this is happening all over the world and such right. a large number. And we're going to get into numbers and everything like that. This is happening on such a bigger scale. This isn't just a one-time story of right. one person that's committing a crime that everybody in Hollywood knew. This is a thing that is happening across the right. world. 
So it's something that I feel like we need to talk about. It is difficult to talk about. It's extremely graphic to talk about. So um, all my moms out there, I know some of you guys reach out to me after certain episodes and you're like, a kid's involved. I can't stomach it. I had to turn it off. Got I it. get it. I hear you. This is the one time that I'm going to ask you to power through because I understand not being able to stomach the stories that you can't do anything about, but this is a topic that you can do something about, but mm. you have to recognize that it's happening. Right. And if we tune it out and we turn off the noise, then we lose the power to be able to become informed about it and do something about it. So moms, I'm going to ask you to power through. And if it's upsetting to you, if it disgusts you, if it's hard to stomach, that that means that you can do something about it. Um, you can do something to change it. So educate yourself. Learn a little something and find a way to, like, actually bring it to an end. Help stop it rather right. than just turn it off. Great. So let's get started on this. Like, it's, I'm going to provide you guys with resources along the way. So I'll list off, like, stuff as I'm talking about it. At the end, I'll kind of go over some um, foundations that I recommend, some places to start getting some information. In the show notes, I'll include links and stuff like that so you guys can click on them. But like I was saying, this is something that is incredibly relevant, probably the biggest true crime story that's happening currently in modern day. Human trafficking exists primarily in three categories, if you will. Primary categories here, you're looking at sex trafficking, labor trafficking, and most recently, it seems, organ harvesting. Oof. And this is kind of more specific to children, but there are some other areas that this could be expanded into, but these are going to sure. be your three big ones. Right. Modern day slavery now exists on a larger scale than it did in the 19th century. So back really? During, yes. So back during the transatlantic slave trade, obviously, you know, you had people that were being um, sold and traded out of Africa. You had, That's where we see a lot of the references to the slave trade or slavery in general coming right. from. But now... We have more people enslaved in history than we ever have. Wow. And that's why it's so interesting to me that nobody is talking about it. Right. Because this is more of an issue now than it's ever been. Part of the reason that it's more relevant today than ever before is because of accessibility and affordability. Mm. So back during the transatlantic slave trade, it was very hard to get a slave. You were transporting in and out of specific countries. Right. There was a lot that went into that. And slaves were, there were a lot of money. Cheryl Wudan and Nick Kristoff, they wrote a book called Half the Sky. I really recommend it if you guys are interested in this kind of thing. It's a really good place to start. They cited that at the peak of the slave trade in the 1780s, there were about 80,000 slaves that were transported from Africa to the New World. Now we're looking at modern day slavery. According to the State Department, rough statistics say that there are about 800,000, which wow. that is a low number compared to more recent estimates this book sure. is a little bit i think it's probably probably about 10 or 15 years old now so at that time it's about 10 times the number of what were being trafficked back in the 1700s that doesn't include people being trafficked within country borders this is just across international borders oh, which is like why i think that number is a little bit low right the other factor in this is that back then it cost about forty thousand dollars to buy a slave so this was an investment that you were making as a slave owner. $40,000 was something that would cost a ton of money. That's $40,000 in today's money. In oh, okay. In comparison, just to kind of give you an idea of what sure. that would cost. Like, that's not... You don't just have $40,000 no. lying around. So today, you can buy a girl, on average, about $90. What? So the implication of this... US dollars right yeah. now. They average a few hundred, but yeah, it's about $90 um, on a good day. 
Oh my gosh. I can already tell I'm going to be speechless throughout this. Yeah. At $90, you become disposable. You don't cost a lot. That's a day's worth of a, I mean, to these guys that are buying a day's worth of a good time. It's less than a hotel room. And that makes you disposable. It makes you replaceable. It it minimizes your value. So you aren't being, people are not being bought for the sake of like, this is investment. This is long-term. This is something that is going to be part of it's my household or something. It's a one-time type of thing. Exactly. If you get sick, if you get injured, if something happens, then it's no skin off anyone's back to take you out back and kill you because you're like inexpensive. You're easily replaceable. I'm going to be sick. Oh my God. So it's because of things like this that this has become a more relevant issue today. Sure, because it's more accessible to people. Exactly. People can afford $90. And we're not talking about transporting people on ships that take a long period of time. You're talking about things in and out, like you can go to a brothel, you can go, I mean, you can put them on, like, it's easy to put them on barges. That's part of the reason mm-hmm. that, like, um, here in the Pacific Northwest, Portland Harbor is a really prominent um, place. It's a hot spot for right. trafficking because it's easy to put them on cargo ships and get them in and out of the country. But when you're saying something like $90 the way I'm imagining it, like a John goes and and gets services, or is it more of like the person gets brought to them in their home and they have them for days, hours, weeks? It can vary. So you have brothels that you can go and pay by the hour or by the trip or by the occasion. Right. Or, you know, for a couple hundred or sometimes for a couple thousand, depending on the age and like whether they're virgins or what you're using them for or anything like that, then I think... A lot of the numbers that I've heard thrown around are like 10,000, 15,000. Mm. Um, still significantly less than 40,000. Right. The highest number I've heard of is 15,000. And this is different than, for example, like legal brothels in Nevada for women right. that want to be yeah. sex workers that want to do that line of work. So, so this is for illegal stuff. Let's talk. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So one of the issues with prostitution so let's talk about prostitution right Mm -hmm. um is that there's a lot of um connotations and implications that come with things like the words that we use when describing this so we don't talk about this in a form of prostitution because there's a lot of people that are doing prostitution uh willingly they are part of the sex industry as a way to make money they are Mm -hmm. there with their own adult consent part of the fight in legalizing prostitution from a lot of these organizations is that then they will use these of age girls to front for what's happening in the back. So for example, if you had a place in Nevada that had all girls over the age of 18 or whatever, and they were doing legal prostitution, the police come and check the guy's like, Oh, these are all my girls. See, they're 18 and older. Here's their IDs or whatever. Meanwhile, he's got a trailer a couple miles down the road and he's got a bunch of underage kids. Right. That if you know the secret code for, you could have access to them. Right. So it fronts for whatever's going on behind the scenes. Um, And that's why a lot of these uh, organizations have really put an emphasis on, like, what are we calling this? So we're not calling this prostitution. Um, They've thrown around words like slavery, trafficking, exploitation, um, although exploitation is incredibly vague, and I don't know how that would ever be successful. Cheryl, Wudan, and Nick um, Kristoff, they recommend using the term modern-day slavery. Mm. Um, And we'll talk about some other things that have different different meanings and different words that you can use. And Cheryl Wudan kind of explained... You know, the reason for calling it modern day slavery is because you're comparing and contrasting it to the slave trade of the new world. This Mm. is slavery. These are people that are being held against their will regardless of what the reason is for. 
So, and even to use the word pimps, we have an idea as Americans, this very westernized idea of what this looks like. Um, this is some guy sitting in the car that's, you know, waiting for a girl to get done turning tricks and then takes the majority of the money or whatever. Whereas, like, the people running these places, we'll get into a little bit more, but it's more complicated than that. Currently, estimates for modern-day slavery are anywhere between 25 and 40 million people living in slavery today. Whoa. Again, I think that number is low. There is a report that indicates that there's anywhere from 90 to 100 million girls that are just missing in the world, and this can be due to a variety of different reasons. I would venture to say that sex trafficking is part of that reason that these girls are just missing. So again, I think that this number is a little bit low. Right. Those are how many people we're looking at in slavery today. Trafficking in general is a multi-billion dollar industry. It grosses about $150 billion per year. Wow. And that's, like I said, that's just trafficking in general, not just sex trafficking. So Free the Slaves, um, which is an organization, you can find them at freetheslaves.net, I believe, approximate that 50% of the industry is still considered labor slavery. So these are people that are being sold for labor services, whether it be farming, cleaning, whatever it may be. About 50% of that makes up the industry for trafficking. Sex trafficking makes up 12.5% of the industry. Um, yeah. They also added in forced marriage slavery, which I thought was interesting. That is interesting. Again, it's not one of the big three, but it is a part of it. And that one actually, like, it does need to be addressed. That one sits at 37.5%. That's so, a lot. Yes. You're, those are coming from a lot of, like, tribes and stuff like that that are still practicing, like, these forced marriages. Sure. Where they sell a daughter for dowries. Dowries, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of these girls are underage and they're being forced into these, you know. It's against their will. Yeah. With right. grown older men that are actually raping these children. So, like, that is something that does need to be talked about. It's basically right. sex trafficking. It's just that it's hidden behind a marriage certificate. Right. And 25% of today's slaves are children, specifically. So that's from all categories. You have 25% of them that are sitting as kids. And then the rest, because labor makes up a huge part of that, you're seeing adults and stuff like that that are also being part of, that are part of this. So okay. that's something to keep in mind. This is the part that gets a little bit hard to stomach. So I want to say trigger warning, but at the same time... Just brace yourself. Power through. Right. Don't turn it off. So sex trafficking has become more and more relevant because of the demand for child porn, which I'm, I call it child porn because it's instinctual to me, but this is another thing that Operation Underground Railroad talks about the semantics of things like porn versus what they call as child sex abuse materials is what they prefer to call yeah, it. Yeah, that makes sense. Child sex abuse materials is like, it really kind of paints more of a graphic image of what this is. It really does. The single most viewed child abuse file, I don't know what that file specifically is, but there is a file that's basically the number one. Okay. Right? It's either a video or a picture, whatever it is, has been seen by over 2.5 million unique IP addresses. Disgusting. Yep. This reminds me of like an SVU episode. I know. Predators have anywhere between 50 to 150 victims in their lifetime. So um, that could range from in-person to sex abuse materials to... They don't really say how exactly, like, sure. what that includes, but basically that they're... I would, I would say assume so. so. I mean, yeah. it would make sense if, if it's a, a picture, a video, what have you. They're partaking... In, in the abuse of a child. Right, yeah. exactly. I agree. Um, the Child Rescue Coalition has identified 71 million unique IP addresses that frequently 
share or download any illegal child pornography. This is awful. One in five girls will experience some form of sexual abuse before 18. And on the other hand of that, one in 20 boys will experience some form of sexual abuse by the same age. And then 90% of children who suffer sexual abuse are violated by someone known to their family. That number is crazy. Staggering to me. Right. Tim Ballard kind of explains this, the progression of it. So a lot of the demand from sex trafficking is coming from child porn. And you're probably going like, how exactly do you go from this to this? So what Tim Ballard says, and he's, if I didn't mention it, he's the founder of Operation Underground Railroad. He's, wow, so amazing. (laughs) He says that the demand is primarily stemming from American men. So it's American men that are consuming this porn and creating the market for this. He said eventually what happens is that you, he says they're sex addicts, is kind of his description, although I don't know that they start off as sex addicts as much as they just become depraved over time. So he says what happens is they start by viewing regular pornography. They get on these sites, they view regular pornography, and much kind of like a drug, you build up a tolerance for it or you become desensitized. Right. So what used to get you off is no longer getting you off anymore. And so you kind of start to venture a little bit deeper and the content gets a little bit younger. So then you're starting to look at like teenagers, you know, 18 year olds or whatever. And then that goes into like younger teenagers. You keep switching your drug to get the high. And you're going younger and younger and younger simultaneously going more graphic, more graphic, more graphic. As the victims get younger, a lot of times the images get more violent. This is stuff, not just pictures anymore. We're talking about videos, that kind of thing. Blake Lively spoke at an event for the Child Rescue Coalition and she addressed like, what does child pornography entail? So she said, you know, I was kind of scared to ask. I have kids, I have a six month old. Like, I don't really want to know what this stuff is, but like, I also need to know if I'm going to talk about it. Officers told her like, these aren't just like nude photos. Like they're not just the photos that the Walgreens person was like, this is weird. Maybe we should call law and order SVU or whatever. That was me once. Right. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where were you working when you did that? CVS. That's right. And you, yeah. like, that weren't they bathtub photos or something like something that? Something weird. And I yeah. remember calling the cops because I was like, these are kids and mm-hmm. they're naked and... Weird. Yeah, that was still when you developed film. Yeah, and now they don't need to do that. You just right. upload it. And that's the other thing is that it's so accessible on so many different right. platforms. Digital and you ages. don't have to worry now about who's going to catch you with what. Right, because you can mask it. You can hide your IP. Right. Obviously, she kind of addresses the desensitization that predators kind of come into with this content becoming more graphic to meet their demands. So she asked this officer, you know, what is what is child porn? He talked about, you know, these are violent graphic rape videos and violent graphic rape photos. And she's like, <sighs> okay, well, how how young are we talking? Like, are we, you know, I have a six-month-old or whatever. And he said that they'd seen videos of a baby with a umbilical cord still no, attached. No, 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 no. Yeah, and that's a category too. That's like a no. category of like fresh out the womb type thing. You're fuck. No, no. There's a there is a a demand for that. So you have oh babies that God. are literally newborn, hours old, that are being sexually abused. And then those files are being created and sold and traded online to other people who want to view those things for their own sexual pleasure. Lots of stomach. Everybody deep breath. Oh my God. My mind can't wrap around it. And that's the thing is it becomes, it's not even trying to understand it because we never will understand it. That's where it becomes hard to acknowledge that that could even be a possibility. 
that someone exactly. could genuinely be that sick, that somebody could actually be doing that to their own child. Like, we don't want to face that reality because it seems too sick Like, and how do you see a baby and, 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 oh my gosh, and want to do anything but, but love on it? I right. mean, holy shit. Okay. This was the description that Blake Lively was given. Sure. Back to Tim Ballard. Tim Ballard explains that, you know, these victims get younger and younger, these images get more and more violent, and the depravity just kind of sets in, and eventually the porn doesn't cut it anymore. So then what ends up happening is these guys get on planes, and they go to these brothels overseas where they can actually buy a child and live out the fantasy that they've only been able to see online. These predators use these internet forums not only to buy, sell, and trade child pornography, but they're also using them for, like, these how-to guides, like stalking children and luring kids into sexual encounters and those kind of things. And so 85% of these guys that are accessing this child pornography become hands-on abusers. 71 million unique IP addresses that we're looking at child pornography. 85% of that are going to be people that are actually abusing children. That's a lot. It's a huge conversion rate. And with a market with demand... Supply will be met. The Child Rescue Coalition, they actually, they have this amazing technology that they've developed. Um, It's called the CPS technology. It's Child Protection System technology. And they actually somehow get past Big Brother, whoever it is. Okay. And they can track where child predators around the world are downloading and sharing illegal content. Fantastic. when Blake Lively was doing her demonstration, she had a map that was, or not her demonstration, but her speech, she had a map behind her that was lighting up as she talked. (gasps) And every couple seconds, a new dot would appear on the map. And it was live streaming people that were actively downloading child pornography as she was talking. And the map was lighting up. Like, it's happening very quickly and frequently, all day long, every day. I'm going to have to look that up. So just so I can have that visual of like, but to give you an idea, I'll give you an idea. They collect 30 to 50 million reports per day of illegal downloading, trading, selling of child pornography, 30 to 50 million per day. Oh my God. What they do is then they work with law enforcement and they turn over all of this evidence for law enforcement to be able to go to these people's houses and see, first of all, like, what is going on? Who are you? Because mm-hmm. just the fact that they're selling, viewing, trading, buying, anything like that with a child is illegal. Right. So their name lights up in a dot, it's a felony charge. They can immediately be arrested for that. They don't need anything else. Do they, though? What do you mean? If they have information on who's doing it, they don't go... They, they probably want to build a case before they just go knocking on their door? Or? I think it kind of depends on the situation. Ugh. But one of the things that they will do is they'll see if they have access to a child. Uh. So they will do checks to see if there's a kid there um, that needs to be taken out of the home. Got it. And I think that that will depend on how quickly they move in and stuff like that. If there's right. a child that they can identify as living with them right now, then yeah, we need to get in there. But if they're just viewing it and stuff, then there might be some some room to like build a case here and maybe they'll lead us to somebody that's actually buying and selling right. on a bigger Catch the scale. Bigger fish, right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. In working with law enforcement, the Child Rescue Coalition has rescued over 2,500 children using their technology. Wow. They've arrested 12 over 12,000 predators. Good. 
And they work in 96 different countries worldwide, and they've prevented the abuse of more than 600,000 children. Wow. They're amazing. Tim Ballard's organization, Operation Underground Railroads, they rescued the 3,000th survivor from human trafficking. Wow. They work internationally, so what they do is they have this elite team Again, SVU. Yeah. Um, But it's made up of (laughs) Navy SEALs and Marines and former FBI, CIA agents. And they put together these operations where they literally will go in and, like, bust up these brothels and rescue these kids. They've rescued over 3,000 people out of sex trafficking. Um, Last year, they educated over 25,000 people about trafficking in general. They have over 11,000 volunteers. They've arrested over 1,740 traffickers. And they've completed 840 rescue operations. That's a lot. They're, I'm going to Kanye this. I'm not going to take that away from them. <laughs> but that's a drop in the water. It's Yeah. it's And that's one of the things Tim Beller talks about. Um, because like he, for every single one, absolutely. Take them off the mm-hmm. streets. I will throw a parade. Right. But so he tells a story. Lot. He actually has a podcast. They haven't updated it in about a year. But they have a podcast called... Uh, slave stealer okay and he talks about how how overwhelming it can be because for you know one kid you feel like there's still thousands and thousands millions of others and he talks about this story of um i don't know if it's a proverb or something like that but says you know there is a kid that's walking down the beach with a grandfather or something like that and he sees all of these starfish thousands of starfish lining the sea and yeah. they're dying because they're out of the water. And he's mm. like, Grandpa, what do we do? And he said, well, um, you, there's what could we do? We'd be out here for days, you know, weeks right. trying to fix or do something about on, this. Yeah. They'd all be dead by then anyway. And the kid picks up a starfish and throws it back in the water. Picks up a starfish, throws it back in the water. And his grandpa's mm. like... you know, it's not really going to make a big difference here. Like, we don't have time to make a huge dent in it. And the kid said, but for that one, I made a difference. And that's where he, like, Tim says, you know, for that child, I made a difference. Right, And I saved that kid's life, and that's what makes it worth it. Yeah. Even though knowing all the rest is haunting. Now, part of the reason that kids are so often targeted here is because... The younger the child, the more ideal of a victim they become because they can't speak up oh, and they God. make really bad witnesses. That's <laughs> like awful. when it comes push comes to shove and they have to testify, kids are not the greatest right. when it comes to testifying. Only about 10% of children will ever actually speak up about their abuse. And that's why you see a lot of people, at least in the developed world, like you saw that gymnast coach that, Mm -hmm. you know, all the Olympic athletes came forward that he had been abusing them. Typically in more developed areas of the world, what we see in these abusers are people that pick professions that put them close to children. So that can be Mm -hmm. doctors, it will be coaches, it'll be, you know, people in schools, teachers, that kind of thing. Blake Lively talked about, you know, a child oncologist who was raping his cancer patients, kids that were dying of cancer, raping them by the hundreds. No. A nurse who worked with kids with mental disabilities and asked um, when he was caught, he was asked, you know, how many children have you abused? And he looked out the window at the snow and said, how many snowflakes are (gasps) outside? So that's kind of what we see in this. That's what we're seeing here. However, overseas, but overseas, that's not necessarily the way. And for those that don't have jobs that put them in access to kids, like American businessmen, 
um, what they do is they book a flight to other countries and they visit these brothels. Part of the reason Tim Ballard's team and Operation Underground Railroad has been so successful in all of its missions is because they look like the part of these men that actually will go in and buy these kids. So wealthy white American men are the clientele. For the right. majority. So obviously, you have people that are kind of local or They'll whatever. roll out the red carpet for them. And but these guys... In. So what you see from local people is, like, they're coming in for the the red light special, if you will. They're coming mm-hmm. in for the hour, for the day, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the wealthy American men will actually come in to buy a child and take a child. Like, they're, they're buying it to take them wherever they're going to take them. That's so insane. So, yeah, they do roll out kind of the red carpet and give them the full service of come in and pick a child. This is their age. This is what they have to offer. Like, things like that. Because they're going to make more money off of them. Whereas, instead of getting, you know, 50 bucks for a, a day with that one kid, right. you're going to get 10000 to sell that child outright to... That's who they'll want. Yeah, that's exactly. more money. I hate money. I know. It ruins everything. And Tim Ballard started this because he had, he tells this story a lot about this boy named Gardy. And Gardy is kind of like his inspiration story. So Gardy's father, who was Gasno Marcy, he was a Haitian man who was pastoring a church in Haiti when his son was kidnapped from the church in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And he was trafficked. At the time, Tim was working for the government. I think he was working for the FBI. And... It came to his attention because Gardy had been born in America and he was actually an American citizen. So about three weeks after Gardy's kidnapping, the 2010 earthquake happened where it killed hundreds of thousands of people. And the Haitian police were just kind of like, we got a lot of missing kids right now. This is just not our priority. And Tim was trying to get access to all of this. And basically they told him, like, you don't have any stake here. This is... So or a Haitian no church. jurisdiction or you anything. Know, yeah, no jurisdiction. The traffickers have nothing to do with America either. Like, in order for an American agency to get involved in an overseas operation, the child either has to have some type of tie to America or one of the perpetrators has to be American. There has to be some type of American tie. Weird. In this case, there was none. Got it. So... He actually realized that his hands had been really tied in all of these different missions. So he quit his job and started this private organization because he knew that at that point he would be able to kind of go wherever he pleased as a private investigator. Right. Wherever he was called. Yeah. And so he went in to work with this father to find his son. He developed this team that was made up of all these, you know, seals and everything like that. And they kind of had a target on this orphanage. It was an orphanage that was operating as an orphanage, but it wasn't. It was a brothel. It was just being used as a front. They rescued 28 kids from that place that were being trafficked for sex. Wow. But Gardy was already gone. And so Tim had to go and tell the kid's dad, like, we went in, we rescued 28 kids, but Gardy wasn't there. And Tim's devastated. And then all of a sudden, um, Gasnow gets up and he was like... This is amazing. You rescued 28 kids. Why aren't you more excited? And he was like, we went there for Guardy and Guardy's not there. And he's like, if 28 kids could be rescued because of my son, then that's something to celebrate. And he, I think he adopted like eight or 10 of the kids that had been rescued. And he's like, if these kids can't be returned to their home, tell me I want to bring them home with me. And he brought home like eight or 10 of them. Oh my heart. I know. 
And they, so Tim continues to search for Guardy, but that's his inspiration behind his whole organization. He was made to see the the good that can come of it. Exactly. Like I talked about Cheryl Wudon and Nicholas Kristoff that wrote that book, Half the Sky. That was kind of my introduction to the whole thing. And they did very similar things where they were kind of on the ground, although they weren't doing rescue missions. They were kind of doing more reporting um, to bring awareness. awareness, but they did yeah. the same thing where they would actually go into these places, particularly Nick, because he was looks very American, fits right into the profile. So he went into two brothels in Cambodia when he was doing his reporting, and he went in to basically purchase two girls out of prostitution. He bought their freedoms for $150 and $203, respectfully. And he actually, the way they address this is really interesting because a lot of these places focus on their success stories and not really about the aftercare and how you keep them out. Um, Aftercare, after sex trafficking is so important because if you don't give them the tools to transition, they go back. Right. So one of the girls, the one that he paid $150 for, she had been sold by her cousin to a brothel and she was auctioned off to the highest bidder for her virginity when she first began working at the brothel just a month prior. Oh my God. And then the girl that was sold for $203, she'd been working there for five years when Nick came in and purchased her from the owners. The first girl was incredibly successful after her rescue. She became a hairdresser. She opened her own shop outside of her village Um, But the other one had been doing it for so long that she actually voluntarily returned to the brothel after one week because she had developed a methamphetamine addiction while she was there. The owners had been supplying them. them. Yeah, yeah. It's part of their, like, how they get them to be compliant in the beginning. But then do them, yeah. Yeah, and then they become addicted. So they actually made two additional attempts to rescue her and free her, but she returned every single time and kept permanently began working as not just somebody that was being sex trafficked anymore, but as a prostitute there. And they, their stories are really interesting because they wrote that, you know, these things are complicated and uncertain. And one of the things that people often get caught up on are like the, the failures, you know, but you can do all this and Mm -hmm. this is still going to happen. And they said, you know, there's a few lessons that we can learn is one that these things are complicated. They're uncertain. Sometimes it feels impossible, but there's also the lesson of never giving up, that helping people can be difficult and it doesn't always turn out the way we want it to, but the successes are possible and they outweigh the downfalls and that these victories are something to be celebrated. And even when things feel like there is no solution, a social problem like this feels like there's no solution, it's still worth trying. And so I really like how they they show both the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. Um, they also do a lot of work in trying to paint a more accurate picture of what these brothels are like. So they did a lot of work in Nepal and Cambodia. 
And they said one of the things that they really needed to focus on was stripping away this idea of like these misconceptions surrounding these brothels and the sex trade industry and give a more honest betrayal of what these girls are facing in these developing countries. They wrote that one of the red light districts in a town in India doesn't actually have any red lights. That was one of the things that they were very, they wanted to strip away, like this idea of what Amsterdam's sure. looks like exactly. or whatever. Right. They said, actually, there's no electricity in this particular area. The brothels are simple, mud-walled family compounds along a dirt path with thatch roof shacks that are set aside for customers. Children are playing outside on the dirt pass, and a one-room shop sells things like cooking oil, rice, and bits of candy. And it's here that there's not much else available except sex. So they're breaking down that wall or that uh, image of, you know, like exactly like you said. The Amsterdam, the Amsterdam red light district right. of willing prostitution. Yeah, right. and because I mean, I mean, I've been to Amsterdam. Yeah, and huge mistake to have Kara and I walk down the streets at night in the red light district because a we wanted to go see what it was all about. Yeah, it, you're right. It's you. You're walking down the street. If you've if you've never seen it, Google it. Um, you're walking down the street. Every house has a big, almost like storefront window. Mm-hmm. That has some curtains, a red light. If someone's in there, it's part of the image. It's a very suburban area. It's a big, thriving city. Right. But if you go to these third world countries, you're not going to see that. And what you're going to run into is this hotbed of sex traffickers only if you know it. Right. Well, Only and, if you know what you're looking for. Right. Because and, if someone's walking through, like if you're going to Nepal and you're going to go hike, is it Everest? If, if you're walking through Nepal, you know, and you're none the wiser, you're not going to know. And I think that's kind of the point, right? To make it, you might not know what's right under your nose. Right. And what's all around you. Yeah. Like you can hide in plain sight. Sorry, my mind is blowing No, no, no. Right that's now. like, that's one of the things that's, I, so I, when I was finishing out college, my undergrad, I did um, a rhetorical analysis of this book that Mm. they'd written, Half the Sky. That was my capstone project. So one of the things that I wrote about this was that it was important for the authors to shed light for the Western readers, like the Westernized Mm -hmm. people, that think of these commercialized red light districts that have developed from places like Amsterdam that kind of like... They show kind of like these neon lights and these girls on display in windows. And that's what they think of when they hear brothel, you know, Mm -hmm. as they think, uh, or they hear red light district, as they think like uh, more overtly organized places, their businesses. Like, yeah, you say brothel and I'm thinking Bunny Ranch in Nevada. Right. Like it's a place where there's a billboard, there's billboards up to it and you can walk in, there's a menu, you legally ask what, you know, from someone that's consenting what you want, but obviously they... Ugh. It's not the case. Not the case, right. In developing parts of the world, they are poverty-stricken, they're run down, they're destitute, they don't have electricity, they don't have running water, they're literally like mud shacks. Interestingly enough, many of these establishments are family-owned and operated. No. And they're kind of like these mom-and-pop type stores in the developing world where these kids are running around as if it's like an American cul-de-sac and... They have areas where, like, moms are raising their own daughters to join the family industry. No. And so 
to somebody walking by, it's like, okay, this is a family living in poverty. They don't think this is a family living in poverty that's selling their own kids. Unless you know that's what you're going there for. Right. You have to know what you're looking for. So kind of to go back to the value of these girls, those being trafficked in general. And I spent a lot of time focusing on the sex trafficking portion of it because, and especially for kids, because it just, I feel like, you know, for lack of, and full transparency, that's where the shock value is. Right. And I feel like this is the best way for me to communicate how important it is. But Nepal was known as one of the top destinations in the world for sex trafficking. And in one particular instance, uh, Nick Kristoff wrote of an encounter that he had with Border Patrol between India and Nepal. Nick asked him, what are, well, what exactly are you monitoring for? Because they're running Border Patrol and they're checking the different cars that are coming and oh, going and sure. everything. Okay. And the guy said, you know, we're looking for terrorists or terror supplies. He said he wasn't monitoring anything closely. He was just looking at the trucks that were tri- or the trucks that were driving past. And the guy said, after 9-11, we've really tightened things up around here. Um, we're also looking for smuggled or pirated goods. If we find them, we'll confiscate them. And Nick said, well, what about trafficked girls? Are you keeping an eye out from them? Because there must be a lot of them. And the guy goes, oh, yeah, there's a lot. But we don't really worry about them. There's nothing you can really do about them. Oh, my God. And Nick was like, well, what do you mean? Couldn't you arrest the traffickers? Isn't trafficking girls as important as pirated DVDs? Because mm-hmm. they said that they were looking for, like, you know. Knockoff stuff. Yeah, pirated stuff. Um, and the guy laughed. And he threw up his hands and was like, prostitution is inevitable. You know, there's always been prostitutes in every country. What's a guy going to do from the time he turns 18 until he gets married? <sighs> Nick was like, well, isn't there a better solution <laughs> Then kidnapping Nepali girls and imprisoning them in brothels to, like, aid your boys that need to get one off or something. And the officer shrugged and was like, well, it's unfortunate, but these girls, um, these girls are sacrificed so we can have harmony in society so that the girl, good girls can be safe. My God. And Nick was like, the Nepali girls are being, that are being trafficked are good girls too. A lot of these are virgins that are being sold. And the guy Innocent goes, kids, yeah. Right. And the guy goes, yeah, but those are peasant girls. They can't oh, even read. my God. And he's like, they're from the countryside, so they we sacrifice them so our good girls can be safe. But it goes to show that, like, these girls essentially mean less than DVDs. <laughs> and part of the reason that they're being sold so cheap now is because much like the attitude of the transatlantic slaves trade... They are discounted humans. Right. Operation Underground Railroad posts frequently about the updates they're doing in the U.S. as well as the stuff that they're doing overseas. So um, if you aren't following them on Instagram, I recommend it. Um, It is something that, you you know, it does put it in your face. You have to see it, but it's important. In June, they led operations in Washington, Oregon, and Texas, and they actually arrested 10 predators from those three states. Wow. And in the first six months of 2020, they rescued 383 survivors and arrested 271 predators in the U.S. That's crazy. This isn't just an international issue. This is a U.S. issue. Like I said, the primary customer for this trade is American men. So the idea that we just kind of turn a blind eye to it and say, well, it's not happening in our backyard, so it doesn't matter. But it is. It is. Right. These are our people that are creating the demand for a supply to be met. That is crazy. So 
question for you. Mm-hmm. Are a lot of these girls uh, or, or kids being kidnapped? A lot of these kids are being... Some of them are being kidnapped, but more are actually being sold by their own family. So, like, one of the girls I talked about was sold by her cousin. But that was overseas, though, right? That, that was, was abroad. overseas, But yeah. I'm talking about, like, here. here. I think more commonly what we're seeing here is not necessarily kids that are being trafficked in America necessarily. Most, I think a lot of the trafficking, although I'm not the expert on this, a lot of the trafficking is still stuff that's happening overseas. What you're seeing here are kids that are being abused. Abused. Yes. So those are kids that are being abused and a lot of them are being abused for the sake of profit. So Mm -hmm. one of the stories that I read, I'll actually pull it up, that Operation Underground Railroad published was the story of Emily said Emily was six months old when she was advertised for the first time to be raped on Craigslist. Six months? Six months old. old. So her family was a middle-class family. They had a film studio set up in their basement, and they had discreetly advertised that any buyer could come to their home and sexually abuse her. They had asked for somebody to come to their home and sexually abuse their six-month-old. The family said they would film it, and then they would sell that video for more money online. They were caught four years later, and they said that they liked that model because there were two ways to make money. The buyers would come to their home and pay for... Services. Yeah, they'd pay to actually abuse their daughter, and then they would turn around and make videos of that, and they would... Sell those too. Sell those online, yeah. So they said hundreds more would pay for the online video footage. Emily was rescued when she was four years old and she was placed with a family to begin her healing. And they actually did a follow-up story for her that she uh, started kindergarten. That blows your mind. Yeah. So she started kindergarten and on her first day of kindergarten, Emily sat in the car and was really overwhelmed and she was crying. And her guardian at the time kind of talked her through it and let her kind of take a deep breather let her, she said Emily actually fell asleep in the car and then she woke up a short time later and said that she was ready to go into kindergarten. And she said, and she walked around to the car, opened up the door and held her hand and walked her into class. And then Emily said, thanks for letting me take a minute. I just needed a minute to be able to get the courage up to walk into school. She's five. And so when her guardian came to pick her up from school, Hannah ran out and hugged her. And she was really excited to tell her about the picture she colored. And she really loved snack time. (laughs) And her guardian said what that communicated is that she had a normal day at school. So after being sold for four years of her life by her own family, the fact that she had a normal day at school was a beautiful moment. And these are the victories that we need to celebrate throughout aftercare. Right. So it's a, it's an interesting cycle because what we're seeing here in America is the demand is being created here primarily, um, yeah. again, by a men that live here and have access to these things on the internet. And that need is being fulfilled by other Americans mm-hmm. that are abusing their own children or have are abusing children that they know. Right. And they're creating video footage or photos of it and they're selling it online to feed this need of the American man. And then, and I'm not just saying like, this is exclusive to American men. So please don't like come for me and be like, well, (laughs) yeah. Men from wherever are doing it too. Like, yes, we know like, and women are doing it too. too? Yes. Women are doing it. Actually, um, Tim Beller just talked about a couple 
that they were planning to come and buy a child together and they were going to abuse the child together. God. And they were super excited about it. And they were setting up operations to take them down when they came to buy the child. But by the time the episode came out, it had already happened, um, which is why he was talking about it at that time. But they were operating like Carla Homolka and... Yeah. Jesus. And doing it together. So it's not to say that anyone is exempt from this or that it's specific to a certain demographic. It's just that the primary market is for the white American man. Right. So that's where the market stems from in America. It is being supplied by homegrown abuse videos of Mm -hmm. children. And then when you can't go overtly buy a child in America, they get on a plane and do it somewhere else. And a lot of these guys travel for business anyway, so it doesn't Uh, really raise red flags the fact that they go overseas to do this kind of thing. Exactly. And now another way that people or kids, women, get put into this world, they're either runaways or they're encouraged to run away, and then they're prostituted, right? And like you said, fed drugs to... Yeah. So I think in America especially, you'll see like underage girls that are running away and they will be forced into... Um, sex slavery. I right. won't even say that they'll be forced into prostitution because I, I don't think that that's a true yeah, description not, of what they're right. doing at this age. But like in Washington, D.C., like you have underage girls that work that strip right out by the White House that they're like as young as 12 years old that have been picked up from there Jesus. and they're being forced into sexual slavery. They'll tell you that they're doing it willingly, but at 12 years old, how, how are you doing that willingly? Right. Whereas like overseas... Some of these girls are being kidnapped. Some of them, I would say a small amount of them are runaways. A lot of them are actually promised an opportunity to go and work to help their families. Uh, so, like, I read a story of a girl who was promised a job as a dishwasher over in Nepal or something. Right. Somewhere. Maybe it was Cambodia or something. But she was promised a job as a dishwasher. So she left her family to go and work as a dishwasher. And that's when she was forced into sex slavery. Right. And you'll see family members that will sell their own children and stuff like that to make ends meet. Um, And moms that are working at these brothels that will sell their own daughters. And uh, it's very much a a generational family. So, and this is, I don't know if it's completely off topic, but along those same lines, I know you said that, you know, was it Tim that said these men... Have an addiction, like a sex addiction, and it just transforms into something worse and yeah. worse and worse. So, and this is not researched at all, obviously, your episode, yeah. but so do you have any information on the movement of that becoming a sexual orientation? Yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily have information but I, it is a i'll put thing. it on the record it's fucking awful it's a thing it shouldn't be a thing <laughs> so uh, there's a couple things that i want to talk about with that is one is there is a movement currently and terry cruz is actually one that is like leading the way on this which I'm i like, like terry all right um to defund terry likes terry no, terry kidding. likes terry <laughs> terry likes terry like kanye loves kanye <laughs> uh terry cruz is kind of leading this he's hashtagging defund Pornhub. Uh-huh. To, you know, uh, basically shut down Pornhub because they most searched 
content on Pornhub is underage. It is not. It is. That is the biggest keyword search in porn in general is underage. And so he's kind of started this thing to start oh this um, defund Pornhub. To your question as a sexual orientation, Tim Ballard said at one point, he said, you know, I feel like there's one thing left that the entire world can agree on. And that's that children should not be raped. And then he said, right. Except, you know, traffickers wouldn't agree with that. And the people that think, you know, that, you know, men love boys or whatever, that organization, they wouldn't agree with that. And then he lists all these people that wouldn't agree with that. So mm-hmm. actually, like, that is probably the one thing the majority of the world can agree on. But at the same time, there are actually people that think that that's okay. So There's there, opposition. That is, no. So there is actually a group is called, I believe it's called Men Loves Boys. Mm-hmm. And they have a... Their belief is that this is a sexual orientation, that children Mm -hmm. can consent to this. um, No. And that if both parties are willing, then it shouldn't, their age of consent shouldn't be a thing. No. Um, And that this is something that needs to be (laughs) destigmatized. I could throw up. Yeah. I could actually throw up. The thing, the thing that's so interesting to me too. Who's spokesperson? (laughs) Because. I mean. The thing that's so interesting to me, too, about that particular movement is that theirs is an, I mean, it's all or nothing type thing. They don't have, like, they're not proposing a new age requirement or an age restriction where they're saying, like, let's reduce the age of consent down to 16. It's like all or nothing type thing. If I'm 45 and they're eight, cool. Like, no. What? Tim, actually, he has footage. If A really good place to start if this is something that you want to get more information on is there is a video on Amazon Prime called Operation Toussaint. It's T-O-U-I-S-S-A-N-T. And like I said, I'll link everything below. And it follows one of their operations into freeing one of these brothels that have kids in it. Oh, super cool. And it's real footage from the actual, the whole operation. So... One of the things that they document is, like, they go on this boat because they're playing the part of the rich, wealthy American white man, right? So they're at this yacht club, and they're on this yacht with these guys that are actual traffickers. Mm -hmm. And the idea is, like, they set the premise of, like, they meet up with these guys because they want to buy girls. Mm -hmm. And so they have to meet with them and do business. And so they meet them at this yacht club because that tells these guys how wealthy they actually are. And so they're all, like, joking around about all these, like, Oh, how young of a girl do you have? And blah, blah, blah. And I think at the time they said, like, the youngest one that they had in stock was, like, 14 years old. And they start, you know, joking around, like, playing the role, trying to get them to admit to what they actually really have. And Tim was like, what's the youngest girl you've ever fucked, you know? And the guy's like, I think she was, like, 10. (gasps) And he was like, oh, you fucked a 10-year-old? And it's, like, it's horrifying to watch because you realize that he has... He has to reduce himself to this to, like, create this, like, bro-iness with these guys to, like, get them to trust him and make them think that he's actually there to buy a child. But to reduce yourself to that is just sickening, and I can't... I mean, I'm sure it just... I'm sure it eats him alive. But to watch these guys so casually talk about, like, having sex with a 10-year-old as if that's some type of, like, medal of honor, I don't understand. Like, they don't think there's anything wrong with it. No. No. It's, I mean, it's a business for them. So, should we talk about Pizzagate? (laughs) Pizzagate. Okay, so, sorry, hard transition. 
we're going to talk a little about Pizzagate um, because, again, rabbit hole. One of their friends, co-workers, colleagues, or one of the people that they helped come into status and wealthiness was a pizza owner in New York. And how a pizza shop owner becomes a millionaire beyond anyone um, because it's just the pizza shop. Right. And... So, Pizzagate, the theory is, and this is what the emails are. Oh, my God, the Clintons are going to come after me. And some of the emails that have been recovered from the Hillary emails are of code of pizzas. So, like, pepperoni means a boy because it's a pepperoni stick. Or, you know, the diameter or the the thing, like all these codes for pizzas are them talking about, or like pizza parties, they're completely out of context for what they're talking about, but then suddenly they throw in pizza references. So those are supposedly the codes or the code words for them talking about either ordering a kid or having been with a kid or whatnot. So that's what this whole Pizzagate thing is. I, I think Jeffrey Epstein is a perfect example of where that can exist, where you literally can basically order girls. Right. And if you have the right amount of money and you know the right people, it's possible no matter where you are. Have you seen the Wayfair thing? Yeah. And, and again, the, these are just theories that are just popping their head out. They're not well developed, but one of the things, and, and this is just out of curiosity, a lot of coincidences. So if you haven't seen it, Google Wayfair child trafficking. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is that someone found that if you do a search for a dresser or any type of furniture, if you do from filter it from high price to low price, obviously you get the highest price things first a regular degular schmegler dresser that would normally sell for no more than two three hundred dollars was getting sold for twelve fifteen thousand dollars right and here are the kickers here's the here are the coincidences all of the dressers furniture nightlights had names of missing girls kids. of missing kids and there's a lot of charts out there by theories that have put these together as visuals for you to see but some of the names are so very unique that it's hard to not think it's more than just a coincidence right one of them i believe was samia that's always stuck in my that's stuck in my head it's s-a-m-i-y-a-h i hadn't even heard of that name before yeah and it just so happens to have been it to be a missing child that she's been missing for two or three weeks, and it's the same name of the dresser. The pounds on it, of like how much the dresser weighs, are the same pounds of what she weighs, like 115 pounds or something. Yeah. And the the coincidences are just are just crazy. Right. But the name of the seller, because it's just like Amazon, you can have other sellers selling on the website. Mm-hmm. It's Isabelina, and it's owned by Isabella and Max. Coincidence, Ghislaine Maxwell's sister is Isabella Maxwell. Oh, interesting. So just another coincidence on top of another coincidence. Their logo, which is almost like a triangle that goes in a spiral, Mm -hmm. is very, very similar to the logo of Men Love Boys. Also, it's a triangle, which is the shape of a pizza, Pizzagate. Hmm. 
Sorry. I might cut all this out. No. It's just <laughs> I mean, it's very conspiracy theory-ish, but it right. but but like you said, they you know, these traffickers find ways to fly under the radar right. and to hide in plain sight and conduct business. Well, to them, it's just the business, which is fucking awful to think. And that's where I want to be really clear. If a conspiracy theory is debunked, that doesn't mean that the issue isn't there. Oh, absolutely. So don't get too clouded on like the whole Wayfair thing where it's like people are going to come one way or another and tell you all the ways right. that it's not true and everything like that. The fact of the matter is, is that children and people in general are being sought, bought and sold at a rate that's higher right now than it has ever been in history and that fact still remains and if we were outraged by slavery a century ago two centuries three centuries ago why are we not outraged by it now so what can someone do what can i do to either you know keep the awareness up keep the conversation going or mm-hmm. prevent it because if i can right. obviously you know I, I would love to know what i can do so I think, first of all, being aware that it is happening, acknowledging it, and talking about it are going to be your most important things. Yeah. Um, turning a blind eye to it does nobody any good. So having the conversations and being willing to acknowledge that it's happening is going to be huge. Um, but on top of that, you, there's several organizations that you can get involved in. My personal favorite is obviously going to be Operation Underground Railroad. I've talked about them a lot, and I really believe in what Tim Ballard is doing. Um, his organization is amazing because they're not only are they doing the whole aftercare portion, which is so important. If you are looking at getting involved with an organization, make sure they have an aftercare program in place. If they do not, it's worthless. Like Mm -hmm. if you don't give kids or people the tools that they need to transition, they will go back. So make sure they have an aftercare program. That's something that he focuses really heavily on, but they're also doing on the ground rescue missions. So you can find them Operation Underground Railroad and they go by the the abbreviation O-U-R. So our rescue. Got it. They're a great one. Um, The Polaris Project is another really great one that's uh, very notable. They do a lot of really great stuff. The Child Rescue Coalition, that is the organization that has that Blake Lively video that's Mm. been circulating. They're a great organization as well. I would encourage people to watch that Amazon Prime video, Operation Toussaint, to start at least like get a glimpse into what a rescue mission looks like and what all goes into that. And then there's so many things that you can find in your area. So if you find one of these groups that really speaks to you, I know Operation Underground Railroad for the 30th, they are doing demonstrations. So like for me, there's a demonstration happening in Vancouver, Washington. So there are things that you can do as far as demonstrations go. You can sign up to do um, volunteer work. Uh, Operation Underground Railroad also does a training so you can identify trafficking if it's happening in your area. And they do um, a whole training program. So that way, if you see something that is out of place, you can more quickly identify what it is rather than thinking that it's just odd and moving on with your day. So that's another thing that I would get involved with. Obviously, not all of us can jump into Cambodia and rescue children. So I can't do that. I would love to, though. I would love to, but I can't. I'm sure there's all kinds of special things that go into that. So I will be donating personally to Operation Underground Railroad. But any of these organizations would be a really good one to start with. And I think more than anything, it's, you know, there's lawmakers that need to acknowledge that this is happening is happening in America. What do you think? Like set aside more resources financially for set it? Set aside or resources. Or? I think I would recommend you research 
the legislation that is in your area, um, mm. the resources that your particular states have, the laws that they have to enforce all of that, um, and get educated on those different things and things that you can do to help. Operation Underground Railroad does a really good job in listing out the states that are compliant and have laws that can actually, like, mm. help them do things versus the ones that don't, so. Got a question for you. Yeah. So, it sounds like, obviously, a lot of the efforts to stop it, to prevent it, to bring awareness are happening here in North America. Is there anything abroad that any groups that you're aware of or... Well, typically what these organizations do is that they work with local law enforcement agencies that will actually allow them to come in. Some places won't. They'll tell them basically, like, get bent. This is our country. We're going to deal with it how we want. And they don't deal with it. No, they don't. Or not Because they're they're being paid off not to. So a lot of these places... We're dealing with a lot of really corrupt governments, um, developing countries and things like that, where you just got to pay the right person. In fact, one of the rescue mission that they document in Operation Toussaint, one of the traffickers that they take down is a woman and she had paid a government official to get her out of jail. And she had gone back and trafficked the same girls. Jeez. I mean, yeah, it's easy to look at the United Nations and like see what efforts are happening within the United Nations. However, most of these countries that things like this are so relevant mm-hmm. is because they have weak law enforcement agencies that allow them to get right. away with it. Uh, from that level, not necessarily... Um, I would stick with the organizations, like I listed, that work internationally right? Um, and actually have the means to make sure that this happens. And also, they're the ones that are going to have the means to have the aftercare program. It's going to go further right. than just the rescue. All right. Well, I will have everything listed over on our Instagram, and you can find that at A Stranger Danger Podcast. You can email us, astrangerdangerpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Stranger Danger, colon, a true crime podcast. This one we probably won't have extras on for the group page, but if you are so inclined, we'd love to hear a review from you on iTunes. Oh yeah, we have Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) That handle is sdtruecrimepod. Thank you so much. Beware of strangers. Bye. Bye.